translating to the people who speak my own language. An excerpt from an essay by Cynthia Kane, who's a Unitarian Universalist minister and also U.S. Navy chaplain. Intriguingly, in many respects, it has been easier to translate the work of Unitarian Universalism to the military than vice versa. The support commanding officers have given me as a Unitarian Universalist should not come as a surprise, particularly given the increasing numbers of service members with no religious preference. The armed services increasingly understand the importance of chaplains who can minister in non-traditional ways and bridge diverse constituencies and worldviews. Conversely, I've often been unpleasantly surprised by how difficult it can be to get fellow Unitarian Universalists to accept my military work. Indeed, when I began to contemplate military ministry, the idea provoked various shades of hostility, ranging from disdain to outrage among many of my colleagues and Divinity School classmates. Early in my career, I found it impossible to convince non-military Unitarian Universalists to take seriously things I had learned through my own experience about some military processes. For instance, I considered much of the Unitarian Universalist advocacy for detainees at Guantanamo to be misguided based on faulty evidence and preconceptions. But when I offered to share my firsthand view of the situation on the base with the Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, I had difficulty gaining even a friendly ear. One of my central missions in ministry is to interpret military culture to civilian Unitarian Universalists so that they can come to understand the aspects of it that are life-affirming and directed toward peace. And one way I channel this mission is through the humble and pan-contextual notion of service. Just before I left for my first deployment, a sociologist friend explained to me Irving Goffman's concept of total institutions. Goffman argued that some institutions most especially prisons and military institutions, are intended to remake people. All the markers of personal identity are stripped away on entering. Inductees give up their clothes, submit to a standardized haircut, eat the institution's food, submit to its schedule. There was truly something profound about the process of entering the military. I found myself bonding with the other chaplains in my basic training course in a way that outstripped anything I'd experienced in college or graduate school. We chaplains were forced to put aside differences in order to concentrate on fulfilling each task given to us and on functioning as smoothly as possible. I know the criticisms of this remaking. It's been argued that service people lose the ability to think critically that they forgo moral decision-making. However, the people with whom I serve also have a quality that many of those in civilian life lack. Where civilians prize individuality above almost everything else, service people believe in the importance of acting as a unit. The beauty of such action rarely is recognized outside military life. 
but how many of us have worked with groups to tackle important social issues only to watch them falter and fail because of internal, often petty conflicts? One of the few places we can look for examples of subjugation of one's own needs to the collective goal is the deployed combat unit. The military is filled with career the military is as filled with career concerns as any institution. But when a mission is at stake, that mission becomes paramount. Loyalty and unity become the arbiters of life and death. And conflicts in personality and ideology are put aside in order to get the job done. It's an aspect of service that never ceases to inspire me. And there are many in the military who embrace it, not because they love war, but because they yearn for security and peace. It reminds me daily of what service means in any context, and it makes me wonder if there is room in progressive politics where the individual's needs and goals have come to represent the highest ideal to re-engage with the idea of collective mission. This is a new type of Rosetta Stone I am working to craft. I'm not sure what a peacenik total institution would look like, but I suspect that many of us actually yearn to feel integrated into a more purposeful whole. While simultaneously carrying out these various acts of institutional translation, I have, of course, also been translating on a far more intimate internal level, seeking to bridge and balance the two distinct callings I have encountered in my life. One to ministry within a tradition that places the utmost faith in peace and coexisting, and one to ministry within an institution of war. As I've suggested, these positions are not as inherently opposed as many might believe. However, the tension between them is ineradicable. In this regard, I face the same task that every military chaplain faces to wear my dual insignia with conviction. To the right of my collar are the insignia of my military rank. To the left is the device of my chaplaincy, the cross. 100 years ago, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month of the year 1918, the First World War came to an end. It was called Armistice Day, and its anniversary became a federal holiday. However, the war that was supposed to end all wars did not. And so in 1954, Armistice Day was changed in the US to Veterans Day to honor those who served in all military conflicts. Now, I don't know about you, but I have such ambivalent feelings about military service. I grew up witnessing the terrible wounds of war in my extended family. I vowed I would never join the military or marry a service member. Well, I stand here before you, a military spouse of nearly two decades, so so much for never. And even still, the complexity continues. My heart swells with pride about the service and dedication of my husband and his shipmates. And though not quite a pacifist, I am staunchly against war. 
against the imperialism and unjust financial motives that drive so much of our foreign policy. Chaplain Cynthia Kane, in our reading this morning, says the tension between these is ineradicable. As a Unitarian Universalist, I believe in peace and coexistence. The words we speak throughout our worship service each week and today resonate with my heart and soul. One more step till there is peace for us and everyone. Our great covenant is to dwell in peace together. Let peace, goodwill on earth be sung. And we pray over our children each week to go now in peace. We all desire peace. We yearn for security and peace. But we do not know how to get there. We go forth into the week, each week into the world in peace to act with works of love, but the troubles of this world fill our hearts with rage. In the music we heard this morning, we are searching, searching for hope that lies within ourselves. As we fight against the structural violence of misogyny, white supremacy, patriarchy, and hate, we fight to know the truth. We say we cannot stop until we are all free. Frederick Douglass said, power concedes nothing without demand. It never did, and it never will. So how do we reconcile this with our commitment to freedom and peace? I'm asking you, <laughs> asking all of us, because I don't have the answers to this. Like you, I imagine, I can relate to the desire to serve something bigger than myself to help my country live up to its ideals. Chaplain Kane lifts up the very human desire to feel more integrated into a more purposeful whole. Up until 2017, when the Trump administration ended programs to accelerate the process, military service was a process, a path to citizenship for immigrants and a road to civil rights for indigenous Americans, African Americans, and women. For sure, the military has often outpaced civilian culture in the integration of race and gender, providing a means of professional respect, financial security, and the chance to feel part of a bonded unit of community. I was reminded of the story of Naomi and Ruth in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ruth, when three women who are newly widowed begin to travel to a new country to find protection, to find a way to take care of themselves. Naomi tries to go alone. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, even if death parts me from you. I first felt this power of unified connection and productive action described by Chaplain Kane 
after high school when I joined the AmeriCorps National Civilian Community Corps. It was an amazing experience to work every day with a team of 14 other people. And one day we completed 10 miles of trail restoration for the Nature Conservancy. I was exhilarated, we were so proud. And I think about like our New Orleans service team participants who renovated an entire house in three days. And how we all felt, even if we've never gone on this trip, so proud and connected about their representing our faith, representing our church down in that community. The ideals of America's promise are what so many service members want their actions to promote and support. But it's hard to be proud and supportive of natural, national service when our leaders are promoting so much injustice and violation of human rights. But we see the possibility and the glimpse of the beauty in our highest ideals. In the election we had this week, where so many women, so many women of color, so much greater representation of our country elected to our national government. Dr. Robina Khalid, professor turned midwife and a dear friend had this to say on election night. This, she said, is the only great thing about America. That a Japanese American, a Ugandan American, a Pakistani American, a Korean American, and a Ukrainian American can sit in a room in Brooklyn on a still, crisp autumn night and wait for a baby. We said to the person transforming into mother, you face an impossible thing, but you are doing it. Only you can do it in your time, in your way, following your intuition. You stand on the precipice of the world, but we are here to keep you safe and keep you loved and bear witness to your strength. We trust you. Thank you for doing the impossible. We said to the person about to be born, you are entering the world. Thousands of stories had to come together to bring you here. Not all of them were easy. Someday you will know that. But right now, there is only love. You can come in your own time, in your own way, and we will not rush you. You can discover us however you need to. We trust you. We welcome you. We thank you for being the only you this world will ever know. That love and welcoming and support is what so many service members strive to bring into the world, to manifest, not just for us in the United States, but, but globally, internationally. And yet over 20 veterans die by suicide every day. And this past week, another veteran committed mass murder in a club in California. Some say that these suicides, deaths by suicide, the violence are the result of moral injury. That our veterans need more from us 
more support, more love, more care. And they need us to be able to relate to what they've been through. They need us to love them unconditionally and lean hard and hold them tight, like Tuesday, the service dog, who sleeps beside Lewis every night to help ease his nightmares. Living in this system that perpetuates the structural violence of racism and misogyny, we all know about moral injury. Our souls are wounded even when we bear witness to or hear about acts that transgress our deeply held moral beliefs and expectations. A part of being a human is making mistakes and sometimes going against what we believe is morally correct because we know that there's no perfect person. We have situations in our lives, tragedies happen, hurts happen, and sometimes the decisions or actions that we make reshape who we are, how we see ourselves, and how we see the world. Just like many of our service members returning from war, everyone has done something that affected our self-identity in ways we had not foreseen, like a violation of a trust of a relationship, or a lie, or a petty theft. This can change our expectation of who we think we're going to live to be in the world. We're formed by faith, by our family, by our communities, by our character and our desires. And sometimes our identity stretches and breaks and needs to be reformed. And that's when we need our community even more to help us through that process of reshaping who we are and reshaping who we want to be into the world. This love that is holding all of us, this commitment to peace that we have, sharing a collective mission for security, for peace, for those who have shown the duty to serve, we have the honor of helping them heal, of healing together, healing in a faith community that allows us to see the connections, the interdependent web of what we are together, the inherent worth and dignity of each human being. After this worship service, I will be going to represent all of you and the town hall to offer an opening prayer for the Veterans Day celebrations. And I will carry your love and honor for the veterans with me. I will bless their commitment and their devotion and perseverance. Honor the sacrifices they made and dreams deferred and the time away from their family. The risks and endured injuries to their bodies, minds, and souls. And their long labor on our behalf. Ask that we never take for granted the lives that were lost the lives that have been dedicated to helping all of us to express our rights as citizens, to offer and be a model for that. Someday, once again, we will be, right? Can I get an amen? To be a model for democracy, you know, for freedom, to create a world together where there is no war, where there is peace for all of us, where peace and goodwill ring out on earth, the hope that we search for lies within us and among us. We yearn for security and peace 
We yearn to feel more integrated into a purposeful whole, a purpose like we have here in this community, a purpose to build a more just world. This is hard, but we have to try. This is a battle we must win. We pray a blessing for the lives of our own families, of our own communities, our service members, and for the highest good that we can all bring together into this world. Let us lean into one another. Let us be the person who, like Tuesday, the, the service dog, Lewis knew that he could grab on and he would be there. We can grab on to one another, grab on to our veterans, and work to make a place where we no need to send them to war anymore. May it be so.